The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. Good morning, Shades. Um, Our scripture reading today is from Psalm 139, so I'll give you a second to uh, flip your Bibles there. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for the darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me your your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And if there be any grievous way in me, and lean... Uh, grievous way in me and lead me in the way of the everlasting this is the word of the lord so i do invite you if you haven't already to open your bibles to psalm 139 Uh, the last time we were outside i began by referencing christmas so it's only appropriate that i do the exact same thing this time Uh, i'm one of the few people i think that loves christmas music uh, but there's a couple of Christmas songs that are actually kind of creepy. One song in particular that has always creeped me out is Santa Claus is Coming to Town. I apologize if that is your favorite, but I mean like he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. Like, is that about Santa or a serial killer? It, uh, it, it kind of sounds like the theme song for a Netflix true crime documentary if we're honest about it. It's a song that like initially we think is sweet, but it's actually kind of like freaky when you think about it. That's the vibe of Psalm 139. Like we normally think of this psalm as, as kind of sweet when we first read it. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. And it's like, oh, God knows me. But when you really think about it, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. That sounds like the song by the police. Every move you make, I will be watching you. Another 
classic stalker tune. I'm kind of freaked, and so is the psalmist, David. David wrote this. David's freaked so much so that in verse 5, he declares this. You hem me in, before and behind. God has hemmed David in. The, The Hebrew word for hemmed in right there literally means to lay siege to. Like David feels trapped by God and like he cannot escape. To quote the creepiest stalker song, I promise this will be my last one, to quote the creepiest stalker song of all time, which every 90s kid knows, Mariah Carey's Always Be My Baby, there is a line in the chorus that says, boy, don't you know you can't escape me. That's what this feels like. Like David's like, I can't escape you, God. Like, talk about freaky. Is is that what we're supposed to feel when we read Psalm 139? Why, Why has God hemmed David in? This is what Psalm 139 shows us and shades. I believe that this is precisely what we need to see because God also does this to you and me. He hymns us in. Why? Why does God hem us in? See you with me starting in verse one. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. This is what freaks David out. And the reason that it freaks him out is because David has been trying to hide. We're going to see that very clearly by the time we get to verse 7. It's like, I've been been trying to find a place to get away from your ability to search me and know me. We don't know exactly why David's been trying to get away, but he's been trying to get away from God. Have you ever tried that? Like, you ever wanted that? Maybe because of something you've done that you would rather God not see? Or maybe because of the ways that you feel like God has failed you and you just don't want to have anything to do with him anymore. So I'd rather just be left alone. Thank you very much. I bet that none of us have felt abandoned by God over the last 18 months at all. Please hear that dripping with sarcasm. Like Shades, do you know what it's like to be in a place where you just want to wash your hands of this whole Christianity thing? I do. Very much so. And yet, I don't know about you, but I cannot get away. Can you? I'm assuming not because you're here. God has searched and known everything. Even all of those feelings, he has searched and known everything. And you might be asking, everything, everything? Yes, everything, everything. Look at verse 2. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. That's called a merism. M-E-R-I-S-M for all of my language buffs out there. It's called a merism. A, a merism is a pair of opposites that emphasizes everything in between. It emphasizes the whole. We, we, we talk like this. You might say to somebody, if, if you were looking for an item that you lost, you might say, I searched high and low. That means that you searched high and low and everywhere in between. You searched everywhere. That's, that's what a merism is. So when the text tells us God knows when David sits and when he rises, it means he knows all of his other actions too. This is saying God knows all of David's actions, but his knowledge goes even deeper than that. Look at what he says. He says, you know, when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts. A better translation would be intentions. You discern my intentions from afar. So in other words, God doesn't just know all of my actions. He knows the intention or the motivation behind them. In other words, I can't fake God out. Like I might be doing the right action, but if I'm doing it with the wrong intention, he knows that. He sees that. 
Verse 3 makes that really clear. It says, you search out. Literally, you winnow. You win, like, like the action that uh, a farmer would do at harvest where he would winnow the grain, separate the good grain from the chaff. You winnow my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. That's another merism right there, saying that the Lord not only knows all of our actions and all of our intentions, but he winnows them. In other words, the Lord sees and sifts all of my life. He knows all the good. He knows all the bad. Better than I do, verse 4. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it all together. Like, you know what I'm going to say before I even say it. You know me better than my self. I mean, David is basically saying, God, there is no limit to your inescapable sight. You know it all. David feels exposed without escape. Is it any wonder why in verse 5 he declares exactly what he feels? You hem me in. You, you lay siege to me. Behind and before. That's another merism. In other words, you've surrounded me on all sides. And you lay your hand upon me. Literally, the word for hand right there is the word for palm. Picture a cupped palm, like a, like a lion's paw going over a mouse. Like, you've hemmed me in, trapped me. There's no escape. Verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. In other words, it's, it's too full of wonder. I can't wrap my head around it. It's like when I try to think about God's sovereignty or the Trinity. My brain just starts melting out of my ears. David says, I can't can't even fully get my head around this. It's it's too high. I cannot attain it. Literally, I can't prevail over it. In other words, the, the picture is that God's knowledge to David is like a high wall that has hemmed him in on all sides, and he cannot overcome it, and neither can we. Haven't you tried? Like, haven't we all pulled a Jonah at some point in our lives? There's got to be somewhere we can go to get away from this ever-present, ever-knowing, all-seeing God. Has pulling a Jonah, has that not been an exceedingly strong temptation over the past year and a half? To, to just withdraw from all things related to God. To, to just fade away and to, to hide. Shades, this has been a steady temptation in my own life. I, I've never spent so much time updating my resume as the past year and a half. It hasn't been sent out. But man, have I thought about pulling a Jonah. Just... Catch the next boat to Tarshish. Leave the Nineveh world like the, the leave the Nineveh like world behind. But shades, I find myself hemmed in, and apparently you do too, because you're here. Can't get away. God's holding on to you, hemming you in. He won't let you go. Why? Why? Verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? I'm hemmed in. 
If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, that's the grave, you're there. That's a vertical merism. As high as I can go, as low as I can go. Verse 9, if I take the wings of the morning, that's sunrise in the east. And if I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, for the psalmist, that would be the Mediterranean to the west. This is a horizontal merism. Go as far as I can in either direction, vertical, horizontal. No matter where I go, verse 10 declares, even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. What just happened in verse 10? Something, something just turned right there. As David thinks about trying to flee from God's presence, his thoughts take him to the most extreme of places. From the highest heaven to the brightest sunrise to the lowest grave, and the darkness of the sea. His thoughts consistently move from places of light and life to places of darkness and death. And that's what causes him to have an epiphany. An epiphany that God is not merely present, seeing all. No, God is present with a purpose. He said it in verse 10, to lead and to hold him. In other words, to sustain him and to guide him. In other words, Shades, this is what's happening right here. As David thinks about darkness and death, the most difficult places in life, he knows he doesn't want to go there alone. He's been trying to get away from God, but as he truly reflects on the most difficult places of life, darkness and death, he doesn't want to go there alone. And there is only one, one person in David's life who has promised not just to go to these places with David, but to sustain him and to guide him through darkness to light, through death to life. God alone has promised this. We've seen this throughout our time in the Psalter. We've read these kinds of promises in places like Psalm 23, where God is the shepherd who leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. Or places like Psalm 16, where God promises that there is a path through death to everlasting joy in his presence. And, and here's the deal. As, it is as David stares down darkness and death that he is reminded of why God is present, to bring light and life. There's no reason for David to hide. As he reflected on God's presence and how exposed he was, initially it made him want to hide until he was reminded God's not just present, he's present with a purpose. And that purpose is not to condemn, it's to save. That purpose is not to judge, but to justify. That purpose is not to hurt, but to heal. This is why God has hemmed David in. He has been hemmed in for healing. Look at verse 11. David says, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, literally bruise me. If everything that's dark and painful and hard in life just beats me up till I'm bloody and bruised. Surely the darkness will bruise me. And the light about me be as night. Even then, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. What does that mean? Even the darkness is not 
dark to you. I think when you trace David's line of logic throughout the psalm, we see that what it means is that even the darkness must serve God's purposes of light. Four, darkness is as light with him. You want to see that truth unveiled? Just look at the cross. Like there's no greater place of darkness and death. Yet, what do we see bursting forth from it? The greatest light and life. Our God at the cross came to be present with us, but not just present. He was present for a purpose. The purpose was reversal. The purpose was redemption. And David sees that God is present in his life for that very same purpose. Even as the darkness bruises David, even as it harms him or even as it kills him, the darkness isn't dark to God. In the darkest place, God works his purposes of light and life and his purposes win. That's why David can say in verse 10 that even in the darkest places he can imagine, even there God's hand shall lead him. God's hand shall hold him, sustain him, guide him. This is why God has hemmed David in to show him that even as the darkness bruises him, God's healing hand is ultimately at work for David's good. Shades, God hems us in for healing. As we try to flee, try to, we find ourselves in places of darkness and death in our life and we try to flee from the presence of God. The only place we have to go is into deeper darkness and death. So God hems us in. He lays siege. He won't let us escape further into the darkness and death. He hems us in, lays siege so that we might see he is present with us and present for a purpose. To reverse that darkness to light. To reverse that death to light. To bring about a redemptive reversal. He's the only one who can do that. He's the only one amidst darkness and death who can lead and hold us all the way through the night. Redeem it. Make it total and complete light. Do you believe that's true? David wants us to, and so he writes verses 13 to 18. For, in other words, here's how I can know. Here's how I can know that this is what you're present to do. To, to turn the darkness to light. Here's how I can know you are present for that purpose, the purpose of redemption. Four, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in the secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. How can I know that God is present for this purpose? How can I know that God has hemmed me in for healing? David says it's because he has always been present for that purpose in your life. He's been present since the moment he brought you into existence. He formed you. He did this. He knitted you together like an artist. God's got his own stall cup stitchery. Only he doesn't make stuffed animals. He stitched you together in, his mother, in your mother's womb. We're not deist shades. 
We don't serve a God of the deist. A deist thinks that God wound this world up like a watch and let it go. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is intimately involved with his creation, including the creation of every baby ever in every womb ever. And yes, that includes the children that we lose in the womb. God lovingly made them to knit them, and he still holds them. Even when the womb itself can seem like a place that should be a place of light and life, even when it can seem like a place of darkness, God is purposefully present. That's David's point. God stitched you together in your mother's womb, a place of darkness that nobody else could see. We're talking pre-ultrasound here, people. When you go back to the time that David's writing this, nobody's getting a sneak peek into what's going on inside of the, the womb. It was a place of complete darkness, which leads David to describe the womb as a hidden place, as dark as the depths of the earth, a place that no one could see. But David says, God saw God was present there, working and weaving with a purpose, even in the darkness. And David's point is that God is just as present for every day, for the rest of your life, working and weaving with a purpose, even amidst the darkness. It's exactly where he goes in verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, your intentions. Same word is back up in verse 2 where we talked about how God sees our intentions. How precious to me are your intentions, O God. Your motivations for why you do what you do. Oh God, how vast is the sum of them, your purposes that you're working, how vast. If I would count them, they're more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. In verse 2, David knew that God saw all of his intentions. That made David want to hide. And now... David sees that all of God's intentions and all of his actions are aimed at redemption, and it makes David want to celebrate. Every single event of every single millisecond of every single day, God is working his purposes in billions of ways, shades. When we often say or, or think or ponder, God, I wonder what the purpose is that you are doing such and such in my life. We're looking for a singular purpose. Shades, he's got billions. David says God's purposeful intentions in every moment of your life are like the grains of the sand. Even if God showed them all to you, you'd never be able to count them. You'd fall asleep trying is what David implies right here. Because you'd be resting in the comfort of God's faithful working. And guess what? You'd wake up and God would still be present with you, still working out all of his purposes. Shades, even in our darkest moments, when, when we cannot possibly see 
any of God's purposes at work. He hymns us in so that we may rest. He brings us back to this reality so that we may rest in the reality that his purposes are beyond counting. And they come from his love. They are aimed at our good. That is true every day of your life, even on the day you die. When you close your eyes to sleep for the final time, God will prove his redeeming purposes are true because you will wake on the other side of eternity and he will still be with you. Shades, I want you to feel hemmed in this morning. Hemmed in for healing. I I pray through the word you see All of God's intentions, motivations are aimed at redemption. And I pray that makes you, even in the midst of the darkness, want to celebrate. That's what it did to David. Look at verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. Well, I just said that all of this makes David want to celebrate. That doesn't sound very much like celebration. In fact... Kind of seems to come out of nowhere, doesn't it? I'm willing to bet that a lot of you have quoted this psalm or heard this psalm quoted a lot. But not many people quote verse 19 or verses 20 to 22 for that matter. It goes on. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. Tell us how you really feel, David. I count them my enemies. Like, where's this coming from? It's actually only surprising when it's taken out of context. It makes perfect sense in the flow of Psalm 139. Remember, David has been fleeing from the Lord, and I think we're finally seeing why. David had many points in his life where he was being chased by enemies that wanted to kill him. And it seems like he's in one of those right here, being pursued by people that want him dead. He's hemmed in by enemies. People who hate the Lord, and thus they hate the Lord's servant, David. That, just put yourself in a situation where you are being manhunted for a moment. Like, Like, that is a situation dark enough to make anybody feel abandoned or failed by God. And so David flees. And to be honest, when he flees, it kind of makes it look like he feels the same way about the Lord as these enemies do. They reject God. David's fleeing from God. He looks like he's on team rejection. But then God hymns him in for healing. We've seen the reversal that happens in David's heart. Verses 19 to 22 are part of that reversal. Instead of running from God, he now runs to the Lord for justice. Instead of rejecting God in the same way as the enemies, he now rejects the enemies in the same way that God does. At the the heart of the Hebrew word translated hate right here is the idea of rejection. And those who reject God, rise up against him as we're told, slander his name, slaughter his people, they will be ultimately rejected by God. And David is saying right here, I reject them too. In other words, David's basically saying to the Lord, listen, 
my behavior as of late, when I've been fleeing from you, it may look like I'm on team enemy. I'm not. I reject them with a complete rejection. Not on their team. God, I'm with you. That's what David is saying right here in the most forceful way he knows how. You want to more know about these imprecatory type prayers? Go back to last week's podcast. We talked about them more during Psalm 137, but that's all the time we got to talk about this morning. But this is what David is doing. I'm not on team rejection. God, I'm with you. Shades, what we're seeing is David who had run from God, now run to him. He's been hemmed in for healing. That's precisely what we see in how this psalm ends. Look at verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. The psalm ends how it began, right? Search me, O God. Know me. It ends how it began, yet also opposite of how it began. Because all the way back at the beginning, the Lord searching and knowing David, it made David want to run and hide. But now, David's inviting this. What made him want to flee from the Lord, he now invites the Lord to come and do. Come, search me, know me. And this is because at the beginning of the psalm, David felt like this searching and knowing hemmed him in, but now he sees it's the very thing that's healing him. So he prays, bring it on. Come and be present, God, and work your purpose in me, even if it hurts. Even if it finds grievous ways in me that need to be cleaned. It's all good. We can just pause and wait. We're good. He's praying, God, come and be present. Work your purposes, even if it hurts. Even if it finds any grievous way in me that needs to be clean, come, be present, work your purpose. Because I ultimately know that they are aimed at redeeming. Ultimately, they're aimed at healing. They're aimed at turning the night to light, death to life. David's praying, come, hem me in. Even if it hurts. Because it heals. I remember... Uh, when my eldest daughter, Karis, was three or four years old, she dislocated her elbow. And I remember sitting in the emergency room at Children's Hospital holding her as she screamed in pain and tried to get away. And it was my job. I had to use all of my strength to hem her in and hold her down while the doctor popped that elbow back into place. And I'll never forget that experience specifically because of Karis's realization. Like, fortunately, when you pop an elbow back into place, there's immediate pain relief. And when that happened, I saw this realization come over Karis's face that I had not hemmed her in for hurt, but for healing. Shades, I know that the last 18 months have been hard. And I know, I know, we, we, none of us has an idea of when it ends. We, there's no end in sight. I know that you're frustrated. I know that you're hurt. I know that you're exhausted. And perhaps you even feel failed or abandoned by God. But you are here. 
And I believe that's because he has hemmed you in, not to hurt you, but to heal you. Shades, even amidst darkness and death, the Lord is present with the purpose of redemption, light and life, for the darkness is not dark to him. And so, we pray. Let's pray. Lord, come. Hem us in. Even if it hurts. Because it heals. Father, that's our prayer. It's my prayer for the beautiful body of Shades Valley Community Church. Hem us in. Don't let us go. Hold on to us no matter how hard any of us tries to run. And show us that it's because you're at work healing us, healing our hearts individually, healing us as a whole body. Lord, come search us. Know us. Show us if there be any grievous way in us. Lead us in the way everlasting. We pray all of these things in the name of your son, Jesus, by your spirit.